Thank you. It's good to see everybody. Hello. Um, for those of you who are guests with us, I have been gone for a few weeks, and I'm grateful to be back. Glad to be back. Excited to be back, even. Uh, some of you have asked, how was the break, and how was it? And uh, it was it was plenty. It was busy. Um, there were things that were planned and things that were unplanned. My wife uh, got into a wreck and totaled our van, unplanned. Um, so it was fun navigating all of that. Um, and then she's okay, by the way. She's okay. It's just metal and plastic that are broken. And so that's good. Uh, and then Friday, like two days ago, I had cataract surgery, which most of you are looking at me like, dude, you look good for 70. I know. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah, the, the optometrist said, you know, normally we don't see somebody with cataract, cataract that bad and somebody your age. Did you get hit in the head as a kid? Of course I did. They're like, who didn't? Did you stare at the sun too long? Yes, obviously. This is what we did as kids. I don't know what you did, but that's what we did. Anyway, so all of that. So funny moment, um, just as a point of intro here, uh, and then we'll take a moment and pray. But funny moment, they don't um, sedate you fully. Anybody had cataract surgery recently? They don't sedate you fully. They give you hallucinogenic drugs. And the anesthesiologist said to me, hey, you're probably going to see some things and hear some things. I'm like, well, this will be fun. So indeed I did. And it all went like 1970s on me. Like, so, but the, the, the crazy part was not the moments of actually seeing all the stuff. There was a Teletubby involved at one point. It was wild. <laughs> the crazy part was I go home, take a nap, and then get up and go through the day a little woozy, but do fine. Get to bed that night, and I still am having crazy dreams. So the crazy dream that I had that I just wanted to pass along was we were at church together. Um, I walk in the room. Uh, there's half as many chairs and half as many people, and you're all facing that wall, which is colored in like 1970s Scooby-Doo flowers. <laughs> and Curtis Ramsey is up here preaching. So <laughs> I don't know what it all means, Curtis, but somehow you're involved with all of that. So that's how sabbatical was, okay? So that's, that's it. The good news is I can see all of you, like right now. No glasses, that kind of thing. The cataract's gone. Um, some of you look way better than I thought you did with my glasses on. And then there's the rest of you. So, okay. Uh, let's take a second and pray. I just I want to share some things that God's been speaking to me about and in my heart. And um, let's ask for his help. Uh, so, Father, here we are. You're gathered people. Grateful. I'm so grateful, God, to be back. Thanks for this family that's here now. Um, you don't just create a new person through the gospel. You create a new people. And so thank you for this group of people. They are precious and dear to you, I know, and to me as well. And so now would you unfold your word on us and unleash it by your spirit? And let it do its work. Whatever that work is that needs to be done in us, let it do its work. Um, we, we don't want to hold back here, and we don't want to be held back. Instead, we want to go all in with you. And so may our response be obedience, and may it be immediate as we uh, hear you, and uh, as you speak to us, and we know what we're supposed to do. Um, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for a word that speaks every week. Every week. And I pray that now that you would unleash it on us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a special thanks, seriously, all funny stories aside, a special thanks to you as a church um, and to particularly the staff who carried all of my freight uh, while I was gone. Thank you. 
um, to all of them. You were in good hands, and I was grateful for that. Uh, so uh, as we were gone, and as one of the passages that really kind of lit me up uh, in the time away, um, were the kind of promises and commands that unfold in Isaiah 54. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah 54. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. You can go grab one. If it's one of those hardback Bibles, it's page 614. If, uh, if you are a user of the Bible app, you can track along in the Bible app, find our live event, and follow along with the scriptures and sermon notes and so forth. So Isaiah 54. Um, it starts at verse 1. We'll read the first 10 verses together. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth. Can we just hit pause right there and say, Oh, that's good right there. Anybody do anything dumb when they were like, look at the sun too long or get hit in the head? And, and you forget that. That's, you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts, the warrior God is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. Like a wife of youth when she is cast off says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah would no more, should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and I will not rebuke you, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. I want to back up to verse 2 in just a second, but let me just try to set Isaiah 54 uh, in its context. God uses all of these really powerful pictures. A barren woman has children now. A wife who's been uh, put away, divorced, is brought back into the fold. And God keeps using this word, redeem. He's redeeming. He's rede God he is the one who is redeeming. In other words, he is making um, what uh, the, the relationship that was broken, he is redeeming that. He is bringing that back. He is, he is making that okay. And so God is our redeemer. Your maker is your husband, he says, and, and the Lord of hosts, and he's your, the one who's redeeming us. And so there's this sense in which the, the brokenness in the relationship is being redeemed, but it's bigger than that. It's not just that. The, the barren woman uh, begins to sing because she gets to um, uh, bear children, and, and he uses all of these images. There's all of these powerful images of not just a redemption that happens so that the relationship is made right, but also a restoration that happens. God is both our redeemer and the one who restores us. In other words, he's not just making things, uh, reconnecting, if you will, things that were disconnected, but he's making it go, man. Like, it is good. And so he is both the redeemer and the restorer. And the promises he makes and even the commands that he gives in Isaiah 54 have just been lightning bolts for me. And I really want to lock in, like I said, kind of on one uh, particular verse. It's verse 2. 
Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Let's pause right there. Let's call time out because that's where we start. God starts with these two commands. One of them is enlarge your tents. Now, uh, I'm a pastor. I've seen this actual verse used for a building campaign. Let me just go on record. No building campaign, okay? Like we're not expanding anything around here. Just everybody relax. Um, what, what, what I do think, though, is that God has something to say to you and to me about this, that when we go and enlarge our tents, what we're talking about is a greater sense of influence. And so may that be true of you um, in the places where you go and in the relationships that you have. May that be true of you. Um, hear, uh, hear this, though. God doesn't want us to enlarge our tents and, and, and let out the folds and, and really lengthen the cords so that we have a bigger place to live. Like hardly ever, maybe never does God say something like that so that it would just be about us. Instead, he calls us, he blesses us in order that we would be a blessing. What do you do with a larger tent? You have more people over, right? I mean, you, you, you take in people who are, um, who are uh, uh, unsheltered, however that looks and whatever that sounds like. But the call from God for us is to uh, expand our tents, to, to move forward, if you will. In other words, he's, he's not done with you. He's not done with us. Um, he is, there's more for you and there's more for us. And, and he is at work here for his glory and for the good of us and those that we get to touch and be a part of. Enlarge your tents. These profound promises happen in these times of change. And, and um, the, the people in Isaiah 54, as Isaiah is prophesying about this, he's talking about the captivity in Babylon and all the stuff that's going to go with that. So they're going to be really unsettled and not have a good, clear sense of where their relationship with God is and how they're supposed to relate to those around them. Does that ring true for anybody else these days? Like maybe you're walking through a tough time. God, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to relate to you in this moment. Or God, I, you and I are okay. You, you, Redeemer, restore. But man, I don't know how you're at work in this situation or that deal over there or that thing back there. Man, that's really confusing. God speaks these promises and he gives these commands in the middle of that context. And so we enlarge our tents because you will, God has said so. But he goes on, don't miss this, verse 2 again, enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Don't hold back, lengthen your cords. And then what's the last phrase? And strengthen your stakes. And, not or, and strengthen your stakes. Do, I, do we have any like honest to goodness campers in here with tents? I mean like you, you like this stuff? Four of you, great. My family's idea of camping is when the door opens to an outside thing instead of to an interior hallway. Who's with me on that? Yes? Okay, so not campers. That, that's us, okay? However, YouTube is very instructive in this. Um, if you don't have stakes to hold it down, when the wind blows, and listen to me, church family, the wind will blow. If you've got an enlarged tent and little bitty plastic stakes that you bought at Walmart... Guess what? Your tent will blow away. You search tent blowing away on YouTube. I almost brought a video in, but you couldn't because the tent would start blowing and then it was beep, 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 beep. Like we couldn't do that. 
The footage was hilarious. We just had to hit the mute button. Um, and, and so here's the thing. The reason why stakes are important is because they keep it formed, right? They keep it grounded. They keep it where it is supposed to be. They keep the destruction and the chaos from happening. And when that, that, that wind begins to blow, if you're not rooted and grounded, if your stakes are not substantial in both their... their um, uh, their their uh, their makeup as well as their their size. If they're not strengthened, not only will you have chaos in your own life, but what inevitably happens? Your tent is going to blow over on somebody else. Some of you, even in the past couple of weeks, have had somebody else's tent blow over, and all of a sudden you're like, "How did I get wrapped up in this?" What we don't want as a church family and certainly as individuals, we don't want opportunities that exceed our character. And so God says, yes, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the folds of your habitations and lengthen those cords. Don't hold back, man. Do not hold back. This is not a time to be sissies here. It's not a time to play it close to the vest. It's time to put it all in. Amen and amen to that. And, and strengthen your stakes. No little puny stakes will do. Strong stakes, big stakes to hold you in place and to prevent the chaos from coming. Just even in the past four weeks, one of the things that I did watch, I tried not to interact with media too much, but one of the things I did watch was, if you will, kind of in, in Western Christianity, Western evangelical life, seminary presidents, seminary professors, megachurch pastors, other size church pastors, even heroes of mine personally, had opportunities that exceeded their character. And you know what happened? Chaos. The wind blew and the tents were destroyed. So enlarge the place of your tent, yes and amen, and strengthen your stakes. If this is going to be true of us as a church, what would that look like? That's the thing I really have been praying about and thinking about. I just want to give you four to think about. You ready? Uh, number one, if we're going to strengthen our stakes, let's strengthen the stake of, of the Bible. When it comes to our church family, let's be people of the Bible. Great quote about Charles Spurgeon goes something like this, that when you, when you cut him, his blood was bibline, which is a word that nobody ever used. But in other words, when you cut him, what did he bleed? He bled the Bible. There, there's a uh, there are people who work wood, and, and when they do, they, they just you know put a little bit of stain on the wood, and then they think it's okay. But when inevitably, whenever that gets chipped, what shows up? Unstained wood underneath it. I want to be a people who are so soaked in the Bible that it gets down and down and down and down, such that we've, we've stained and sanded, and stained and sanded, and stained and sanded. So when we get chipped around here, the stain of the Word of God is still deeply rooted in us. When they cut us, we bleed the Bible. That's, I think that's important for us to, to have in our minds, and if we can be strengthened. There was a study that came out. I found it in some research that I was doing. Um, uh, they did a survey. The study came out in November of last year, and they surveyed, hey, let's watch these kids. There's been a lot of research about kids who grew up in church but then walked away from the faith once they got to college, and the statistic hovers anywhere between 75 and 80%. Um, but what about the kids who stay? Like, what is about the kids who stay. 
who live, grow up in church, who do student ministry, who go to college and get connected to a church, and who uh, uh, graduate and get married and have a kid, and they're still church people, they're still engaged with the faith. What about those kids? What's true about them? You know the number one determining factor, the number one habit that all of those kids have who stuck it out? They read their Bibles. It's the reason people stay in the faith. And it's the reason we know who God is. Back in verse 5, I just point this out. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. And the God of the whole earth, he is called. Here's my question. Who makes up a God like this? Nobody does. Therefore, we need the Bible to speak to us about who God is. We know God because of the Bible. Not only do we stay in the faith, but we know God. It is the sole way that we know who God is. Um, no, nobody creates this kind of God. We don't need less of the Bible, but more because it shapes us instead of the culture shaping us. We don't need less of the Bible, but more because it nourishes us instead of sucking life out of us. And we don't need less of the Bible, but more because as we've talked about around here, it has the best possible answers to the most important questions of life. For us, I think one of the things that we will have to um, continually navigate, and one of the reasons we need to strengthen our stake of the Bible, is as, as our culture continues to um, travel the path that it's on, and, and we get to become less and less like the culture in some ways, I think there's two rails that we will consistently run on. One is a real sense of clarity. Like, I know what the Bible says. I know what it commands. I know what it asks. I know what it uh, uh, states. I know what it says about God. I know what it says about humanity. I know what it says about sexuality. I know what it says about work and all these other places of my life. I know what it says. We're very clear on this clarity. But without, without surrendering compassion... Because people walk in this building and people are in your lives, people are in, uh, at your office and they drink from the same coffee pot you do, and all, who have broken themselves on their own self-destruction. So what do you meet those people with? You just grab the Bible and beat them with it. See, you should have been... What do you meet them with? You meet them with Compassion. And so to, to run on these parallel tracks, these two rails of, of a real sense of clarity, this is what the Bible says, but continually say, let's be people of compassion too. I think that's one of the things that is out there and going to be one of the reasons we need to strengthen the stake of the Bible in our own church family and in our lives, because we need to have those two things pretty, pretty clear as things move forward. That will lead to um, the second one, I think, uh, moments... Um, of evangelism. And let's, let's just talk about this for a second. Let's strengthen, as we think about this, let's strengthen the stake of evangelism. By the way, this is not some vision sermon or something. I'm, the, I'm not trying to say this. Is, I'm trying to say these are things that are in my heart for me and then for us. Evangelism. Uh, we get people who share the gospel. Um, the world needs to know this good news. And I'll just, again, put Isaiah 54 in a little bit of context. Isaiah 52 verse 7. Um, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, announcing peace and saying to, to, to Jerusalem, your God reigns. That's Isaiah 52. What does that reign look like? Does it look like God just sitting on a throne, flexing his muscles and doing his thing, casting thunderbolts down upon all sinners? No. Isaiah 53 is the servant psalm, or, or the servant song, the, the suffering servant song. Isaiah 53 is where we get prophecies about who Jesus is and about what he's like and about the way that he will accomplish God's reign. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Um, 
We, all of us, all of us like sheep have gone astray, but each of us has turned our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And on and on we could go. So the rule of God, the reign of God that we get to announce in Isaiah 52 looks like a suffering Messiah in Isaiah 53. And then we get to strengthen this stake and tell the good news in Isaiah 54. What does this look like for us as a church? We've talked about this before. If you've been around at all, this little graphic uh, was very helpful. We have a baseline expectation of this culture of invitation. We regularly invite people to church. Everybody in here can do that because you've all got 10 seconds in a conversation. Hey, do you go to church anywhere regularly? It's that regularly part. That's its key part. It's the important part. You go to church anywhere regularly? Ah, well, no, not really. Well, you should come to Heritage Park with me sometime. I'd be happy to meet you. This is my line. You can absolutely use it. The music's really great. Preaching, eh, but I mean, the music's fantastic. Culture of invitation. We, this is something that's in us, and we just regularly do it. What that does, though, is that opens doors uh, to tell our story because you invite somebody to church at, the, at the, uh, um, the water cooler or the coffee pot or wherever it is that you gather with your people and have interaction for a few minutes, and they say, oh, man, listen, because now you're the church guy, right, or the church girl, and so they come up to you and they say, hey, look, you know, my marriage is this, or my kid is this, or I can't believe, or da, 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 whatever. And you get to say, hey, listen, I went through a time like that one time. And this, I'm not telling you that this is going to happen to you. I'm telling you, this is how I got through it. Because God sustained me, or God blessed me, or God helped me, or God had mercy on me, or God rescued me, or God provided for me in some way. You get to testify to what God has done. You get to tell your story. And what that does is then open up a door to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And that goes something like this. Hey, and listen, I don't know if he's going to fix your circumstance or not, but what I do know is that he will deal with the most important issue in your life right now. That is your sin. And he sent Jesus to die for you, to rescue you from your sin, and to be resurrected so that you could live with him forever. Would you like to do that? Culture of invitation opens doors uh, to tell your story, which opens doors to share the gospel. It is still, the good news of Jesus is still the power of God into salvation. That's what Paul says in Romans 1.16. It still changes people, and it changes people radically. You want to see what that looks like? Watch this. This is a couple minutes worth of awesome right here. For Ken Parker, this harmony didn't always exist. This time last year, he was immersed in hate. Ken joined the KKK in 2012. Yeah. You would actually wear this when you all were burning crosses. Yes, ma'am. But still, he wanted more. The Klan wasn't hateful enough for me, so I decided to become a Nazi. Which is why, when hundreds of white nationalists descended on Charlottesville one year ago, Ken was there. All the things you could have picked to say, I want to be a part of this group, and I want this to be a part of my identity. Why whiteness? I had gotten out of the Navy. It was really hard to get a job, and it's really easy to blame it on somebody else. You know, we have people with darker skin in our country, you know, taking my job. But just seven months after that rally, he bumped into a man who made an offer that would change his life. He invited me and my fiance to go to church. And I was like, well, it's worth a shot. That man was a black pastor. I just asked Ken to share his testimony. You've got a 70-person congregation now. They're all black and just three white people, including you. Yes, ma'am. They welcomed him in love. I thought, you know, they would judge me, but no, everybody was like really friendly. When we make it to heaven, heaven just not going to be one race. What would you say 
to the people who you may have offended or hurt. I want to say I'm sorry. I know I've spread hate and discontent. Probably made little kids uh, scared to sleep in their own beds. Hello, I'm with you always. Now, Ken is still navigating uncharted waters into a wave. Better than I did the last time I had a robe on. <laughs> of love. Right. Morgan Radford, NBC News, Jacksonville, Florida. So I saw that story and I had two thoughts. Number one, I'm going to start baptizing people like that, right? I just take their face and just shove it down. That was thought number one. <laughs> Secondly, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. That cat said, the KKK wasn't hateful enough for me. And then Jesus rescued him by, via the invitation of a black pastor. It still changes people's lives and it changes them radically. The gospel comes through like a wrecking ball and just levels things because we need it to. And so church family, why wouldn't we strengthen this stake? Why wouldn't we step out and, and, and share the good news and, and invite people and tell our story and share the gospel? Because this happens in people's lives. It is still the power of God unto salvation. Let's keep going here because I'm out of practice. I talk too slow, right? So thirdly, vocation. This is, um, maybe you say the word work, but vocation. Um, what I mean by that is, well, let's strengthen this stake that if what we say on Sunday doesn't impact our Monday, then I'm not sure what we're doing on Sunday is the right thing. P Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work heartily, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So think about your Monday, whatever that Monday holds. Some of you are going to go teach, when you teach, work, teach heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Some of you are going to be moms or dads. When you parent, parent heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Some of you are going to engineer some awesome stuff. When you engineer awesomeness, do it heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Some of you are going to step into other roles, whatever they may be, whatever it is that you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. This sense of vocation, this sense of, hey, I'm doing good in the world. And what that does is it makes Sunday not less significant, it actually makes it more significant because worship is not just a song that appears on a screen. Worship is presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, holy and pleasing, if you will. This is your spiritual act of worship. And that happens on Thursday and Monday and Wednesday. And, and, and we, we diminish worship when we think that it only happens on Sunday. Let your work also be worship unto the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily um, as for the Lord and not for men. Furthermore, it gives a kind of... Um, a plausibility to the gospel. It lets the proclamation of the gospel go forth. Why? Because it's important to proclaim the gospel on Sundays. Yes, it's just as important to share the gospel on Thursday. It is the power of God, to sal uh, power of God into salvation on Sunday, and it is on Monday too. So let's strengthen the stake of our vocation to say, let, let's be a people who embrace all of this, all of this, whether it's uh, service um, to the community, whether it's service inside the church, whether it's serving the common good in some other way, let's be people who strengthen all of this. And lastly, let's strengthen the stake of joy. I say that because next, next Sunday we're going to have a, it's hard to say celebration because that's not really our thing, 
Um, but we will mark the anniversary of Harvey. Can you believe it's been a year? Um, and I look back on the past 12 months and I go, Phew, what a year. Who's with me on that? Anybody? Yes, yes. Um, and so if we, if we laid out the year of service this past 12 months, let, let, let's mark this next 12 months with, with, um, with joy. With joy. Why is that? I, thinking back about the first three. Because joy, joy is the reason um, that God gives us the commands that he does. Some people think, oh, if God's going to give us these commands, he's after you know, our obedience or our dull drudgery or whatever it is. And no, 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 God's after our joy. In other words, um, he doesn't give us our commands, commands to hold us in in some way. He gives us these commands in, in order for us to be free. That's what God says. And so Jesus in John 15 says it this way. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Anybody want the joy of Jesus inside of them? Okay, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Squashed, quelched, right? Put to the side, put in a locker. Some, what? That it may be what? Full. Full joy. Sounds like a pretty good deal. We don't get that by living separate from the commands of God. We get that by living in the commands of God. So Joy as it relates to the Bible. God gives us the Bible so that we can have joy and that our joy may be full. Um, talk about uh, uh, th- this sense of evangelism. What, what, is, what is the most attractive thing about Christians? It is joy, right? That they can endure, that they can walk, that they can continue to walk. They do these things with joy. Joy is what's attractive to others. And furthermore, when it comes to vocation and service, it is the joy of the Lord that is our ongoing strength. Nehemiah 8 Verse 10, don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What, how do they continue to live it out? How do they continue to walk? They do so with the joy of the Lord as their strength. So may joy be the stake that we also strengthen. May, we, may it live that out. I, I want to close this way. Um, some people say, okay, so God said to enlarge our tent, and God said to strengthen our stakes, so let's do that so that God will be on our side and be better, right? This is not the way to approach that at all. Far from it. In fact, the promises that God made in here don't have anything to do with us at all. They're His promises, not ours. So we don't enlarge our tents and strengthen our stakes so that God will be on our side more. We do that because God is already on our side, and He has told us what to do. So I, I point out Isaiah 54. Look, look down at verse 10. For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed, but my God's steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Just run this through. Do we have any mountaineer people like really love mountains? Anybody? Okay, let's let's geography test here. We'll just take a couple there. Anybody recognize that one? That's Pikes Peak. You can tell by the red rocks, right? That gives it away. Surely it does. Okay, here's a second one. Anybody? Nope, not Everest. Rainier. That's Rainier. There it is. It's a beauty. Okay, here's another one. This one? It's also in the U.S., technically. Used to be Mount McKinley. Now it's Denali. Okay? You're, you're failing, all of you. F. We didn't even have to. Anybody? This one? Cameron? Nothing? Nope. It's K2. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, K2. 
And lastly, thank you. That's the granddaddy of them all, right? Thank you. Okay, you got that one. Here's what the Bible says. Can we just ponder that? That's like five and a half miles high, right? Just think about this for a second. Though the mountains may be removed and the hills depart, my steadfast love from you will not be removed. And the covenant of peace I have for you will not depart. It's more likely that Everest gets up and takes a walk than God quits loving you. It, it, is, it is more likely that something so cataclysmic will happen such that Everest ends up in the middle of the Indian Ocean than it is that God will not love you. We don't enlarge tents and strengthen stakes so that God will like us more. We do it because God has given us these incredible promises, and now from a place of love, we get to do these things. So church family, you're going to go to bed tonight, whether or not it's good Sunday or bad Sunday, you're going to go to bed tonight just as loved as you were on your best day. You wake up in the morning, send your kids off to school, if you yelled at them and kicked them out the door, or if you shepherded them and loved them all the way and took pictures and posted them. Whether you were the good parent or the bad parent, you're going to go to bed tomorrow night just as loved as you were on your absolute best day. Though the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, my steadfast love will not depart. And the covenant of peace that I have with you will not be removed. He loves you. And that sets us free to believe His promises and to live into them. So let me pray for us and we'll get out of here. Um, and as you, if you need to close up or fold up or whatever you need to do, just take a second here. Just have a moment. And maybe you just need to let that little last piece in. Before you do anything good or bad, before you are loved. Before you hear the promises of God, you are loved. Before you believe them or choose to believe a lie, you are loved. Mount Everest is going to disappear before he quits loving you folks. It's not going to happen. It's just not. So you step into work tomorrow and you step into parenting and schooling and homeschooling and caring for a loved one and speaking to a neighbor, you step into everything that tomorrow holds, loved by God. You share the gospel as someone who is loved already. You are a blessing to someone because you are loved already. And that frees you to strengthen your stakes. Take just a minute. Ask God whatever was said this morning that had your name on it.
And now, Father, as you've spoken to your people, I pray that we would go live it out. Not to somehow earn your approval, but because you've already spoken approval over us in Jesus. Not to somehow merit your love, but because we're already loved deeply. Majestically. So whatever the week holds for any of us and all of us, may we live from that place. May we enlarge our tents and strengthen our stakes because that's what you've called us to do. Give us courage. In Jesus' name, amen.